Can I help you? What do you want? Welcome back to another episode of Schooled. I'm Liv. And I'm Mel. And we are so excited. We are on week five of our Black in Education series. This is, like I said before, this has been so refreshing. I'm learning a lot. Um, A lot, a lot. My brain is on overload just from all the different conversations we've been having, but I love it so much. And today we have two more guests to join in our conversation. And so we have Asia and we have Jasmine, and I will hand it over to them to let them introduce themselves. So I'll send it over to Asia. Hi, I'm Asia. I um, actually just finished my fifth year of teaching Right now, this is my last year teaching because I am in a PhD program, so I'm trying to, I just had a baby too, so this was a really good transition. Congratulations. Thank you. This is a good transition into um, focusing on my academic career in teacher education. Cool. Um, And Jasmine. Hi. um, My name is Jasmine. I am just concluding my sixth year in education, I teach high school English. Um, I've taught middle school also. Um, dabbled a little bit in elementary for a very short period of time. Um, I am a graduate <laughs> of the illustrious North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. Um, I'm also a mom like Asia, and um, I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. So Liv, what year are you in education? I'm just trying to see something real quick. This is, this will be my 10th. Man, you messed it up. Okay, because Asia's five, Jasmine was, you said six, Jasmine. I was seven and you were supposed to be eight. Not number 10. This is wild that it's even number 10. I'm just like, where did the time go? Do you still feel like a beginning educator? Because sometimes I still feel like a beginning educator. Um, I think with every new school setting and every new level, I feel new all over again. That's a good point. Yeah. So Jasmine, I have a quick question for you. Seeing as how you've taught all three levels as far as K-12 is concerned, do you have a preference? Absolutely. High school, (laughs) almost 18, out the door. Um, (laughs) That's definitely my preference. Um, I just like the accountability that they can have for themselves. Um, I don't like policing students. Um, It's not a strength of mine. You know, as a teacher, you have to know your strengths and weaknesses. And it's definitely not a strength of mine to, you know, police children and make sure that they're on top of the things that they're supposed to be on. So I definitely like teaching my 11th and 12th graders more than anybody. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get an ally here. Um, so <laughs> oh, nobody loves middle school. Middle school doesn't get any love. I love middle oh. school. I didn't okay. mention this. I taught eighth grade um English language arts. Woohoo! See? I also taught fourth and fifth grade social studies, uh-huh. but eighth grade ELA is my theme. Yay! So. Okay, I have an ally now. I love it. Eighth grade is special. Yeah, the sixth and seventh grade, though. Mm-mm. Now, I did grow to love sixth grade, but seventh grade, I never clicked with seventh graders. They were just strange people. Like, I don't well, they're know. going through strange things. That's true. Those, those are strange times. Yeah. And I've heard they're very similar to sophomores, where sophomores are just like, I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> sophomores are also strange beings. They're like middle um, children. So they're just caught being being young and being old, uncharted territory. They're all going through their own, like, coming-of-age movie in 10th grade. So random. (laughs) It is. I said said going into my degree program, which was middle grades education, I was like, well, I want to teach everything but 7th grade. And then my principal was like, all right, here you go, 7th grade. For two years at least <laughs> so now i just don't say anything and i'm just like give just me what you to, give me yeah yeah because i i don't want to jinx myself again because i definitely didn't want to teach i taught high school seniors for four years and i did not want to teach seniors really? and they yes and they would not move me from seniors i wanted to teach ninth grade when i first started <laughs> then i got to teach ninth grade and i was like oh 
they're such babies. They're not acclimated to high school yet. They're not. They're, they're sweet. mature. They're sweet, though. I had some good ninth graders last year. The ones I had this year, however, I'm glad that school closed in March because I think we would have made it together. I think that's the part of the strengths and weaknesses part. Like, because I'm so nonchalant and so direct, like, I don't care if kids are sweet. I don't, I don't want you to want to know my, my life unless I offer it to you. So like high school, like not high school kids, but 11th and 12th graders, they're just like, I'm just here trying to get this grade. Credit. Ninth graders like, oh, miss, you got a new hairdo. What's up? Yeah. Don't worry about my hair. <laughs> just come here to learn. <laughs> You're here to learn. That's it. It's so funny though, because like, but I think that's what I appreciated these past two years teaching like ninth grade and 12th grade, because when I'm like, I get a mixture of them because sometimes like 12th graders, they're so nonchalant that it's just like you, I'm always like, and I probably shouldn't say this. This is probably on that list of things that Karen teachers say, but I'm always like, you could fail this class. You could not graduate. You could be here with me next year because they just don't care after like September. They're already done in their head. Like I showed up first day of school as a senior and I'm done. Yeah, I got my first F ever. And your teacher told you, you can fail. No, she didn't. She didn't. She didn't say anything. Yeah, she just you just did it, um, but I graduated it. with honors and all my accolades. How did you do that? Because I knew I didn't need her class to graduate. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to send it to Jasmine first. What do you love about being a, a Black educator? I would say that I love my complexity. Like, I'm so layered, and I don't think, like, the kids they can't take me really for face value. Like it's always something underneath that you can't really tell about me. Like I have a very sturdy look, like I have a resting B-I-T-C-H face. And that's just, that's just my face. Like, and there's nothing I can do about it. Sometimes I just grin at the kids and I'm just like, this is annoying, this hurts. They probably think I'm a psycho, but I'll try it so that they don't think I'm this mean, nasty, no good, very bad girl. Um, so I like unpeeling myself like an onion in front of my class. And by the end of the year, they're just like, oh my God, Miss Mama, you are like the best teacher I've ever had. Um, and it's because there's just so much more. And also like, I try to dismantle concepts of what and who teachers have to be. So like my kids will say, oh, well, you should have been more nurturing you want me to be more nurturing because I'm a woman? Like, I'm not your mother. Mm-hmm. So thank you. that's that's not a part of what you're doing here. Like, I'm not here to hold your hand, especially, like, for my 11th and 12th graders. My 11th graders, when I taught um, IB English, a lot of them, this was their first time taking a higher-level class. And they thought it was going to be a handhold, like Honors 9 and Honors 10 was. And it's like, no, you're going to be boo-boo the fool all by yourself. Um, <laughs> and I think that they weren't a lot of them had never had strong black women teachers before Mm -hmm. like a lot of the black women teachers that they had their freshman year were just mean for the sake of being mean Mm -hmm. and i get that i've been mean um i think most kids would say that i'm disciplined and structured and might say mean but it's fair like i don't pick on kids because you look like me or because you don't look like look like me right Mm-hmm. I want all of you to succeed and I'm not going to go easy on you because you're funny. I'm not going to go easy on you because you've chosen to give up. Um, I give all of you the same type of stern teaching. So I think that's why they can respect me. Also my teaching personality is who I am as a human being. So my sarcasm, nonchalant behavior, say whatever and don't apologize for it. Cause I said what I said that is who I am as a human being. So it's not like they can see the, the genuine, uh, authentic person every day. And I think that's what I love, that I get to be my authentic self at my job, um, as complex as that looks every day. You just dropped so many nuggets. So many, so much. I was so just like, much. oh my gosh. So many layers to what you said. Um, I wanna come back to that though. 
Um, Asia, what do you love about being a Black educator? Um, for me, I just love, so first as Black women, we are so multifaceted. So I just love being able to show what it means for me as a Black woman, um, for my students to see who I am. So not even you know, subscribing to all to different stereotypes of what they think a black female teacher should look like, what they think a black woman should look like. They're able to see me for who I am and in my identity. Um, similar to what Jasmine said, the way that I am as a teacher is legitimately how I am as a person. And so my students um, see me as a PhD student. They see me um so last year they saw me as a you know a upcoming mother they saw me as a teacher they saw my different identities and how that played into the classroom um and even seeing me as a phd student i really appreciate it when my students would be like man i hate homework i hate this i don't like this i'm like i i get it i'm here with you um even as an english teacher my students um used to be really frustrated with me because I would just get, I, I still believe in the red pen. I know that it, it makes kids cry, but that red pen is, I went through it, they have to go through it too. And, um, you know, going through their paper, editing it and grading it, and then also showing them my papers too. So that I'm, I'm able to show them, I'm, first of all, the, the journey of learning is never ending. Mm -hmm. And even as I'm going through your paper and killing it, look at what my professor did to mine. Mm -hmm. So I just really enjoy being, not even to say that I'm a model for my students, but just being another person in their life. When they think of black women, they can be like, oh, well, Miss Thomas was this way. She was another example of, of a black woman. She's not the example of black women because black women can be anything. We are, like I said, multifaceted. Um, and just going through the journey of learning with my students, I really appreciate it. So that was, that was my thing. I think um, one thing I wanna to touch on that both of you said is that who you are in the classroom is like who you are in general. Right. And I think that, I think that's really important too because um, Mel and I have discussed before how, you know, like in interviews, you may have to put on like a bubbly personality or, or you may have to create like a more bubbly, um, not bubbly, but like a more festive looking resume just to get your foot in the door. Because, you know, people don't know what to expect, especially when you're talking about Black women. So do you feel like you had to, you know, change your demeanor when you're talking with colleagues or with your school leaders or something? Or, I don't know. Do you feel like you have to put on sometimes? Um, for sure. When I first started, um, I taught in Montgomery County, which is, as a county, very affluent. Uh, from the outside looking in before I came in, I was like, you know, I don't want to teach there because I'm not interested in teaching a bunch of white children. Um, I'm not interested in being elbow buddies with Karen and Becky and Laura and Rachel. Um, but the school I was at was very, very black and brown, more than I had thought. I thought I would have to come in there and be very bubbly. And my first year, I was kind of like on the fence all the time. But once like I got grounded, you know, I flourished by just being who I am. So like the shirt I have on today, my, my no justice, no peace shirt, you know, I wore this and I wore my Marcus Garvey sweater and um, I wore like the blacker, the berry, the sweeter, the juice type sweatshirts. And at first I was like, I don't want one of the kids to tell their parents that, oh, she had on this and this means whatever. But I said, you know, I'm going to wear this because I want them to know the type of black woman that I am. Like, I'm not mm -hmm. over here trying to be besties with y'all. Uh, I'm here to do my job. I hope, I hope you all are here to do your job. And, um, you know, that's just what it's going to be. But initially I was trying to figure out what, what I would do or how I was going to do that. And it was a little nerve wracking to figure out, like, I ain't never taught around this many others in my life. I, like, I've never even been around this many mm -hmm. white people in my life. So mm -hmm. I don't know what white people talk about outside of what I see on TV. That's real life though. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't. What they're talking about on TV is like, oh. Um, right, like, I genuinely have no idea what white people do because I don't know any of you. 
I think even just what you said about your attire, I've even considered like, not even considered, but I've had to really think about the shirts that I wear because I don't know what it is about being pro-Black or being proud of who you are that is a threat to others. And it's just like, my shirt says the black of the berry, the sweeter juice, or my shirt says black girls teach, or whatever it may say. That doesn't mean I'm anti you or whatever you stand for. It's just I'm proud of my identity. And this is how I identify. So, but they take that like as such a threat. And like, I was the advisor of the Black Student Union at my school. The, um, the poster that I created for the interest meeting said Black Lives Matter on it. My principal was like, yeah, no, you cannot put things like that on the wall. Like parents will be in an uproar. And I'm just like, I'm not really sure why. Like I changed it. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, whatever. I can say this when the black kids come to my classroom, whatever. But it's back to that whole white fragility, white mm -hmm. tears. We are just so afraid of what white people will say and what white people will do. And I think it's warranted a little bit because when this whole, uh, when they go low, we go high. When they go low, they're talking about killing people. Right. So like, I get it. But then to a degree, like you're the most powerful person in the building and you don't, and you're black and you don't want black children to know that they matter. Right. That's a lot. Yeah, I've talked about and recounted adventures or misadventures with Black principals who do not stand for anything. Like, But what I've learned also in my beginning of my leadership journey is that most principals, and I don't think, they, they try to exude that they have more power than they have in a school. Most of them do. And so a lot of the time, they are just middle management between teachers and the board. A lot of times, and not to say their hands are tied, but a lot of times they're too busy trying to like tap dance for both parties and a lot of times protect their own interests and protect their six-figure check that they don't do what's right by Black children. And that's unfortunate and annoying because Black lives do matter and if you, I just, I just don't understand it. And also like whenever I would ask for administrators to point out a policy to me, especially when it came to like shirts, right? Because, you know, I done got pulled to the side about shirts before. So, well, not really. Like I've gotten pulled aside by colleagues, but not administrators. I'm like, well, show me the policy. And nobody can find me one because my black girls t-shirt is not a political party or a political affiliation. A Black of the Berry shirt, a HBCU shirt is not any type of political affiliation. So therefore, we good. You can leave me alone and let me go teach in my classroom and go do whatever it is that you call yourself doing or not doing. But also, I wanted to touch on something that you guys mentioned, kind of this concept of like other mothering that Black women are expected to do in schools and nurturing because that is... <laughs> something that like I've always kind of like got really like cringy about because you will have other kids like children come to you and be like oh like you're like my mom and I'm like I ain't got no kids like no I, no I'm not your mama no I'm not I am not your mother and I know some people who are okay with that and are fine with it and accept it and are embracing of that but I me myself am, am not and so that's always been something that kind of makes me uncomfortable because it's like it it kind of increases the level of responsibility that you have as a black woman educator because you have these children who look to you as a nurturing figure or you have these expectations from your staff to be the nurturing person because it's strange how like black women are also supposed to be like the disciplinarian in the school and you're supposed to be the nurturing one and the way that a lot of like racist sexist stereotypes about black women feed both of those ideals and I just think it's really that is a draining thing for me like having especially when I first started teaching I was like 23 and I taught high school seniors who are 17 there is no way in hell that I can be your mama so <laughs> that's just not a possibility but it it was just all even now like I still can't be the kids I teach now, mama, unless I was out here dropping it low in middle school. <laughs> like, 
there are some like that get a different even more authentic version of me like I'm very vocal about my motherhood experience right and being a mom just ain't my favorite thing to do so like that's just what it is Mm -hmm. but there are some kids that I build an affinity with that have been to my house they've met my husband they've watched my son we've done outside of school trips to HBCUs whatever Mm -hmm. and most times those were never people that were my students though they were like a part of a club that I was Mm -hmm. that I was in or I covered someone's class and that's how I met them or something like that so you know like I don't this whole trope that that women because we're able to be mothers therefore we're all nurturing like I don't even think like as a mother I'm super nurturing like I'm just here do this you can't do that then forget it just leave it alone we'll work on that another day um and I'm very stern with students. And I think when, you're, when you don't fit that, um, fit the shape that they push you in, then that makes, even like as a teacher, looking at another teacher, a student looking at a teacher, an administrator looking at a teacher, I think they, they get uncomfortable because you're not what you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And now we, I'm trying to make you what you're supposed to be. And that's like some tricky areas for people. Hmm. I think that's the that's the blessing and curse of being a black female educator because and I've been actually researching this recently because I want well for my master's I was looking at this archetype for white female teachers and this whole idea of um, white missionary and white lady bountiful this white female teach for America TV teacher um, and so I started to look at what does that look like for black women and I've been seeing that like you like you said we have this um, forced identity that we are supposed to be the advocate so we have to be the the local activists the school activists for our black students we have to be the mother the mentor um, the accountability piece Mm. white counterparts so we have so much going on and it's so much fatigue and it's so much pressure and it drains us and it's tiring and I think that even for me and I when I I recently became a mother unexpectedly um but before I really wasn't trying to be a mother because I was like I have students that's enough for me I'm not that's not really who I I feel like I was at the time um and so to have students who are like you're like my mom or you like my auntie I didn't ask for that, you know? And I think that sometimes black female teachers are forced into that box more than their white counterparts who can be Becky and Karen and just walking around and just teaching and go home. Whereas um, we're expected to to take on so many titles when maybe I just want to come and teach and go home. Mm. Not what I wanted to do, but you know, some some teachers may have that idea that they just want to do their job and go home. But when we're forced into these different boxes, it is limiting and also just creates more fatigue for us. And that's what kept keeps me from like ever going back to urban education. Mm. Like when I taught in urban education, Southeast DC, honey, Jamal, mom wanna call me at 9 30 p.m. Then I got to stop my instruction to meet Jamal's mom in the office because this is the only free time she got. So then an administrator has to cover my class and they don't know how to manage a class. So they're not doing the assignment I left. I leave, I come back, now I got to get them all together and start all. It was just too much. Then I had to be the voice for the black kids that couldn't advocate for themselves. And then like, once I became a mom, I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. Like I cannot be this drained at my job. And the suburbs, honey, it's carefree. You ain't got it. I don't know how you're going to get it, but you need to find somebody else because you ain't getting it here. And I will say, as someone who taught in a quote unquote urban setting and then in the suburbs, it's, it's night and day in terms of there's, you know, cause in urban settings, everything is urgent. Everything's an emergency. Everything is life or death. Everything is, you know, we got to, or somebody's going to die. Suburbs. It is literally like no well, urgent machine. machine. And no art. Well, mine wasn't a well-oiled machine. 
But um, <laughs> no urgency. I would say that my last school ran like a car that somebody had for five years and never got an oil change. Um, and just still driving. <laughs> just still driving. Don't care. Because it's, I don't, and I don't even know, because it was a mostly black and brown school, but it's just a, I don't know, it's just a different feel for it. And like, even when it, be, it came down to high stakes things like state testing, it's like just this lackadaisical, like, huh, well, well, let's just, we'll get started when we get started. And it's like, no, because coming from where I was at before, it was like, okay, testing starts in the entire building at the same time. You don't start reading the directions until 8.35 on the dot. Like, it, and that just was not where it was, which also makes me question, like, why so many, like, black and brown and ur- schools in urban settings are kind of ran, like, machines, factory, kind of like this military, like stringent order of things and even like charter schools in dc i don't know if you guys have seen some of the instagram pages that have come out spilling tea for different charter schools well when you get a chance go look up uncommon schools on instagram let me take a look (laughs) oh so that's actually in new york but it's it's a lot coming out about charter schools and the way that they operate and of course we know that they're mostly working with like black students but it's just it's a lot speaking of the uncommon school situation though um when i trained for teach charlotte a couple years ago that was the framework that they used and um it didn't feel good to me i was just like why are we snapping at kids why are we doing this stuff like this I don't like that. But um, similar to you, Mel, you know that I taught in an urban setting as well. And then I went to a suburb setting and it really took me at least maybe the first semester. I would even go as far as to say the first year to get Mm -hmm. acclimated to what was going on because I just felt like I almost felt like it was too slow. Like something needs to be going on. Like something has to be happening. Why are we moving like this? But then after a while, I was like, oh, we can do school. My chest doesn't have to tighten walking into the building trying to figure out what's going to happen. There are so mm-hmm. many different ways to do school and you can still be effective without everything being like, oh my God, all this right. pressure. So that is um, a really interesting difference. Can you guys perhaps think of a time that you can recall during your career being made aware of your blackness as a educator? Um, Like I said before, I started education with Teach for America. And so I'm currently in Atlanta. um, And at the time when I started Teach for America, I had just graduated from Georgia State University. And they sent me, I said, anywhere but Oklahoma, they shipped me to Oklahoma. Um, so I taught, I started my teaching career in Oklahoma. And as soon as I arrived, I, I mean, I, I already knew I was black, but as soon as I arrived, I was like, oh, this is mm. extra, but okay, cool. All right. So um, even when we were talking earlier about that bubbly personality you're supposed supposed to have. So even this um, labeling of the joy factor, wanting teachers to have the joy factor, which is mm. just making white people feel comfortable and, you know, so just seeing how my counterparts were having their conversations, um, the core members having conversations, the professional development in um, race and equity, which was centered in whiteness. I knew I was extra black then because I'm like, where's my development? Because all um, skinfolk ain't kinfolk. So just because I'm black doesn't mean that I know I'm equipped with having these conversations. So who's helping? Um, So that instantly I was like, oh, this is, this is who matters. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, and even in my teaching, my actual teaching career, um, I've predominantly I've taught at mostly black student population schools, but um, in Oklahoma, most of I was usually the only black teacher. And so I was always towing the line, like, are you asking me these questions because I'm black, a black woman about race, or are you just asking me these questions because you know that's my research? But the ironic thing is when I moved back to Atlanta to teach here, um, I taught at a predominantly black teacher population school and those questions stopped. So I'm like, what happened? No one's asking me those questions anymore. Um, So just those experiences, I really was like, I didn't think that I would feel like that because I didn't think that, especially with Teach for America, that since they're boasting this 50% diverse um, demographic that I would 
feel so pinpointed as a black core member yes so i think it may have changed it may be they usually it's either like, like either 51 or 49 it goes up and down throughout the years but when i was in teacher america in 2015 i think it was 50 percent diverse which if you itemize that it's still 50 percent white and 50 percent mm. so it's still oh gotcha, gotcha. okay because i'm just like I, I you are literally the second black tfa teacher i've ever met in my life or a teacher who went through tfa mm-hmm. like the second <laughs> and all the rest of them not i've met have been white teachers so that's so interesting mm-hmm. um and i know they've claimed to be doing a lot of work in terms of diversity equity inclusion depending on what the the word of the week is um this year's anti-racist practices but we'll see how it shakes out i think tfa in general was intended to put teachers in buildings and supply teachers in high needs areas regardless of their effectiveness and i've met some great teachers who went through tfa but i've also met some really bad ones who went on to work at the district level in some school districts or went on to you know be principals at schools or start their own schools and I'm just like how how you it's about, don't know how to align assessments to a standard how right it's about the system and the idea this strong idea of leadership um, and resume building even if you look at the TFA website mm-hmm. for recruitment it's all about it's, it's not about what you can do for students and the communities you will serve, but it's mostly about how this will help you with your resume, how this will give you all these different leadership skills so that you can move up quickly. Because um, I've seen teachers who taught for two years during their core experience, go through a master's program during their core experience, and then their principals. If that's your career, that's fine, but what are we, what does that say about how we feel about educators. And then also, what does that say about their own experience? Like, what are you teaching? What are you learning in that, that experience that automatically equips you to be um, in, in charge of an entire school? Right. And the irony of all that, given those demographics that you mentioned earlier, are the people who I know or the people that I've heard of who have gone through TFA that are Black stay in education compared to those who are not. Right. So like if you are building leadership skills in two years in your classroom practice or instructional practice where you build the leadership competency for you to lead in education, why is it impossible for teachers who have been teaching for 10 years and perfecting their craft? Why do why are they not viewed as having leadership competency in having been there for 10 years or done the work for 10 years when they try to go up for leadership positions? make it make sense y'all and i feel like a lot of times and i i jokingly say this but like it's the code of tfa like if you have it's like a secret society that's not a secret like if you have tfa on your resume it's like you are a shoe-in and everybody know like there's so many studies on tfa is professional development being lacking their curriculum development being lacking, like everything about it. But for some odd reason, it's like when people hear TFA in a job fair or on an application, it's like, you didn't teach for America? Like, and I think that is so interesting to me. Like, one of my white co-workers at the first school I taught at, we went through Teach for America together. And she told me when she went through the interview process to go into Teach for America, um, the recruiter told her, you know, if you if you have T, if you can get through TFA, you can get through anything. And so that entire narrative that puts our students and typically black and brown students to say like, oh, they're just a speed bump. If you can get over, if you can teach these kids, you can do anything. That's Wow. So I have a question for you, Asia. Um, out of your cohort or your core group, how many would you say actually wanted to be teachers, like who wanted to really invest in the profession? I and see mm, a good I would say a good bit, but I think when I when I say that I also think of their mindsets. So a lot of the the core that I was in, they had some interesting mindsets when it comes to students so yes they wanted to change they wanted to change the world and be a part of you know the the solution to educational inequities but at what cost and what did that 
really look like? Did they really want to be a part of this because they have a love for students and they have a love for social justice? Or had they just learned about social justice and they just wanted to add it to their resume? Um, so I think a good amount, they seem to have the mindsets that were that you know wanted to be in education but at the same time they had some of that white savior mentality they had mm -hmm. some um, white missionary savior mindsets too well yeah it makes me think of our um north carolina state superintendent who was tfa who taught he he did his he was career. tfa he was tfa um yeah. and so he used that platform as a way to say you know i was i taught yeah. in I was a teacher and blah 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 and now he's ruining the state schools <laughs> so i'm just like <laughs> everybody knows it but it's interesting though as far as the white saviorism that's in tfa because that also pervades a lot of like just teacher education programs period it's interesting because i have met a lot of early career educators or first year teachers who are black and they go, let's say they went to a PWI that was positioned or was Eurocentric and they're thinking about teaching and saviorism and all those things. And they have a lot of those same ideas and they're not prepared when they actually get in the classroom. And as I said on here before, I think in one of those early episodes, like Wong and Wong cannot prepare you for what's going to happen that first year that you're teaching. Like, it just can't. There's nothing that the first 10 days of school could have said. There's nothing that Simon Sinek's Start With Why could have said. There is nothing that um, Move Your Bus by Ron Clark could have said that would have prepared me for what I was actually going to face dealing with people because you are in the business of dealing with people and not just regular people who are adults who, you know, brains are fully functioned but you are dealing with people who are still cognitively developing like for example teenage brains have three functions most time they think about things through the lens of like do i have sex with it do i eat it or do i kill it that is how they think about things and that's how they think about issues like because their brains are not fully developed and that's not a jab at teenagers it's science it's facts so like when you're dealing with those things as an, an adult and as a, a young adult, because when I started out with 23, 24-ish, your adult brain does not develop until you are 25, 26. So you pop me in the middle of that mess too. <laughs> and here I am still cognitively developing. <laughs> and they're still, you know, I'm a little bit further on my brain development journey than they are, but we are just, you know, it just doesn't click and you're not prepared for those things adequately or accurately. And there are a lot of like practices that are still being taught in teacher education programs that are, I feel dated. And again, I didn't go through a teacher ed program. So maybe I'm not a liberty of speaking, but I ask people all the time, like, okay, you went to UNC or A&T or Howard, or you went to teacher's college. Tell me, point me out what you did there in your undergrad experience in school of education at wherever you were at and show me how we ended up in the same place. And I went through alternative licensure and we at the same place. I think that's a, show me what you learned that was different from me. Yeah, I think that's a problem that a lot of school of eds are having or they're having to reckon with right now because their programs are dying. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, and you're and not when, doing- When I see classes teaching about bulletin boards and I'm like, because I, I, you know, sometimes I check the um, the hashtag um, aspiring educator or um, first year teacher or student teacher and like people are actually having to do bulletin boards as a class project. And I'm like, you can learn that on Pinterest. Okay, you can buy it on Pinterest, actually. It's so, a huge thing in urban education, though. My first, my first school in Southeast, it was a huge thing that the weekend before school started, administrators went class by class to make sure everybody's bulletin board looked exactly the same and that it said the same message so like it was data um student corner announcements and like something else something like a like the where you learn about who your teacher is mm. um and like it was a huge thing and like same thing like with the bell schedule all of that had to be in your classroom before school started. Mm -hmm. When I taught in suburban education, 
They don't give a damn about uh what's in papers? What are they called? Um where you put like your demerits, like the first one is call home. What is that called again? Oh, like, consequences. like your consequences, like they don't have that yeah, on there. They didn't have rules and consequences. I had rules and consequences in my in my classroom because that's. I mean, I put that in my syllabi. Was best, but, practice, but it wasn't posted on the wall like in urban education. Like they admin come to you like, well, if you don't have it posted, can you really hold them accountable for it? Yeah, I can. It's in the syllabus. Yeah, like, and it's interesting though because. That reminds me of a funny story. So my very first year at my old school, she came in and like my first day I was touring the school and I was like, um, yeah, so when do I need to make copies of my syllabus? Um, you know, so that way, cause I had it, it was cute. It had everything I was going to do. It had my consequences, rules, things like that. And she was like, oh, well, these kids don't need syllabi. And wow. that was the idea in like, urban education that like because these kids were black they don't get a syllabus they don't understand syllabi like it's not a thing um so to Jasmine's point like having bulletin boards I guess is for some people is a way of making it look like that you are have expectations but to me that does not equate you know expectations and I feel like schools of education could do something better with their time in that respect. Asia, we need you to um, finish your degree and fix it. Fix all of it. So this question can kind of go to anybody, but thinking about the structures, and we just said, you know, like school events are not really preparing and school leaders, but what can school leaders do? What are some like things you will want them to do to um, make their school safe spaces for black and brown students and not just students, but teachers as well? Um, I'd want them to like change some of their language. Like stop calling me a person of color. I'm black. Thank you. Stop putting us all in this circle that we all have these same experiences. Like, oh, well, these are for the minority students. I'm not in the minority, boo, you are. <laughs> so stop trying to make it seem that black and brown children aren't the reason you have a job. Like, mm. this, there are, I don't really even know how many schools in America are predominantly white anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that, obviously there are a few, but if we're talking about as an American public school system, it's becoming outdated. So you you have to get professional development on how to teach black students, brown students, yellow, purple, orange, and green students. And I would say asking your student, I mean, asking your cohort of teachers, like stop limiting teachers who just being teachers. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, there are teachers who just want to teach. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be here after school. I don't want to be on the sunshine committee. I'm not trying to do these potlucks with y'all. There are people that are like that. Thank but you for being team no potluck. That <laughs> I is- don't eat things that Karen's cook, so. No. I cook for the potluck, but I don't eat anything that was made at someone's house. To prove my point, I won't even cook for it. <laughs> no, I'll cook for it. Um, but that's because I'm a caterer, so. Like, okay, like yeah, well, that's different. For me, I'm just like, well, I'm not bringing anything, so I, I can't participate. I can't eat because I didn't bring nothing. <laughs> No, I love, no, and I actually love when teachers be looking at like, oh, what's Jasmine going to get? Not that. Did you make this, Sue? All right, Sue, don't want it. (laughs) You didn't buy it. I don't want it. Um, But I I wish that they would ask teachers to support the school community in ways other than being an educator. Like we all have gifts and talents. Mm -hmm. Why is it impossible for me to lead a professional development at school on something that I know solely because I'm not the staff development teacher Mm -hmm. or because I'm not the instructional coach. The instructional coach don't know how to teach black and brown kids. She went to TFA and she only taught for a year. She don't know. So ask me to do it. I like to do it. And I just so happen to be black. Let me do it. Um, So I I really wish um, admin uh, school leaders would think about that. Like we're not just, monolithic human because I work here like I don't mind that I did it for free but you don't even want to ask and they don't ask but 
I feel like I always get asked to do, or at my last school, I was getting asked to do additional things that they thought I liked to do. Um, Braid hair? No, not braid. (laughs) I can't do that. But they were asking me to do things like coordinate this pep rally or because I had a bright colorful classroom, I guess they figured that like I liked pep. And it's like I did it, but it's also like it's hard if you are not like because I have other skills other than that. So like while I can do the school spirit thing, that's not make, helping me grow into the trajectory of my professional goals that I sat down and made in my professional growth plan with my assistant principal at the beginning of the year. So it's like I definitely think they should listen to black teachers and look at like what are your skills, talents and what can also help you grow into the, the like where you want to be in your profession so asia what about you um i think i would say professional development is really important for all teachers but consistently it is centering only one particular type of teacher so i would really like to see professional development like i said before that can like even when it comes to race and diversity and equity and all those different buzzwords, um, we as black women we need to be professionally developed in our identity too. That does I have not I have not just because I'm a black woman does not mean I have arrived at this ultimate center of wokeness. Um, on the racial development model, I'm you know all over the place too. So I think that providing support for black female teachers or just black teachers in general when it comes to that professional development but also giving white teachers the adequate professional development so they're not running to my classroom and asking me a, a quick question of like hey i did this to jimmy was that racist because that's not only that's triggering and traumatizing to me but now i also have to step aside and now i have to have jimmy in my classroom because he respects me more right or you want me to to discipline him or whatever. So I think that professional development for both parties that is adequate and that is substantial will be some part of the start of the solution. And I also think like the rhetoric, like they don't call bullying racism. Mm -hmm. Like if it's racist, call it racism. Right. Call it white supremacy. Cause that's what it All is. All it a yeah. hate crime, yeah. you know. We're so like, we can't like something I've taught my students is that there are people that belong to groups that are celebrated groups, and then there are some of us who belong to groups that are just uncelebrated, and and that's like black people really. Mm-hmm. I don't even I don't think there's any other there's a group lower on the spectrum than what. America sees as black people Um, and culturally like I teach a lot about culture to my kids Um, culturally if you belong to the LGBTQ community that is a celebrated and praised community of people you cannot say anything about anyone that belongs to that community without consequence if you are Jewish that is a community that is celebrated and protected, you cannot say anything negative about that community. I want school leaders to be clear with their teachers and be clear with the school community that there are protected groups and unprotected groups. Just so we're clear, so we know moving forward, when something happens to Jamal, no one is gonna have an outcry because Jamal belongs to an unprotected group. Mm. When something happens to Anne Frank, she is part of a protected group and she's off limits. We Mm. don't talk about the Holocaust negatively. We hate uh, Adolf Hitler. We don't celebrate him ever. Mm -hmm. And I want that to be clear so that people aren't like confused. That's what's going on here. Like, I just want it to be very clear and intentional. Mm-hmm. about what's going on we are adamantly showing you that black life does not matter we just want to make sure that you know that we know that you know that you don't matter <laughs> and you can continue to work here we just want you to know that you don't matter so there's no confusion mm-hmm. and that's a good point like both of you mentioned as far as like the professional development 
calling it what it is. That's something that came up in our um, one of our previous episodes with um, Kanisha and Angel and just talking about like, why do we not have more policies around like protected groups in schools? Because like, if there are federally protected groups or um, I believe they are called, can't remember what they're called. It's a, it's a language for it in policy, in federal policy. Um, but if they have those protections in federal, like, legislation, protected classes and legislation, why do we not extend those to school policies? Because school policy should also be an extension of what we claim to do federally and statewide and on the local level in towns and cities. So if we are using language around hate crimes at a federal level, then why is that not extended to the school level? And when those things are reported, why are administrators and people in power not doing those things? Because a lot of the conversations around Me Too, for example, with um, sexual misconduct and things that happen in professional spaces, like because gender and sex are a protected class you cannot do that in the workplace but i know we've talked about this on here before there's a lot of sexual harassment that happens in schools that people turn a blind eye to um so why are we also not extending that to race and specifically black people um when it comes down to things that are reported and I'll tell you this, Mel, just, um, of course, finishing up this coursework and learning about school wall and all this other stuff, I don't know how many trainings I've been to over the past year about Title IX and making sure that mm -hmm. if anything happens on campus as far as, like, sexual assault, sexual harassment, any of that gender, um, any gender issues, any of that, like, how to report it, what to do, like, how to make sure students are supported, all of that. School law, so many laws about everything and anything except for like hate and race and um, mm -hmm. any. It's just, but that is because that. the American public school system, and I implore anybody who is listening to read The Education of Blacks in the South from 1860 to 1935, and it'll break all of it down for you because the public education system as we know it was not intended to help black people or to educate black people it was intended to create an underclass of people who could be subservient to white and that was maintained all the way from 1860 when we first see the first schools of freedmen popping up till now in 2020 when you have schools that are telling kids like you can't walk down the hall and move your arm. So it's, it's all connected and it's, we don't have those things based on race because most people who work, Ooh, don't want to say that. I'm gonna say it. Most people who are on school boards are white supremacists because, and I know people talk about superintendents can change superintendents work for the school board who are elected officials who are voted by white baby boomers. There, there it goes. Like, that's who said it. Yeah. My school board members don't even send their kids to public schools, but they want to be able to say what black, they need somebody that can be under them in some way, form, or fashion. And I also implore as many black educators as possible or black people listening, go to your school board meetings. Don't let that um, old white man run unopposed in the school board election because that is who is running your school board. It's not your superintendent. It is because because they are at the pleasure of the board, and when the board gets tired of them, they will cancel that contract and bring somebody else in. Yeah, I, that's been my new mission, um, and not necessarily new, but I've picked up um, a lot of steam with like just making sure people understand because people have so much to say about schools. And like, I'm glad you have so much to say, but do you listen? Do you watch the board meetings? Do you know who your board rep is? Like, let's you have to fight it this way. Because going to your principal, complaining to your principal, is not the way to make change happen. You have to go to the board and you have to right. know who sits on that board. So you're not surprised when the superintendent wants all seniors to participate in the voting process and you have uh, board members who are adamantly against it. 
why would they be against students voting? Well, do you know who sits on that board and what they represent? Mm-hmm. Who they haven't this yes. year? Lord, yeah. oh my, okay. Mm-hmm. Something else I was thinking that I want school leaders, and I don't know if this is a school leader thing, this might be a school board thing, but I'm tired of Robert E. Lee being named for these high schools. <laughs> I'm sick of Winston Churchill, Walt Whitman, Albert Einstein. I don't know if Albert Einstein was racist, but he can go too. Um, like I, I just think that, and someone had said this in another IG Live that I have done, that you know, a reason for why black and brown people don't go into education is because their school experience sucks. And why would they ever want to go back into a place that treated them so harshly? And I had never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have these schools named after racists mm-hmm. and no one seems to think that that is incorrect. Mm-hmm. Like, and I had, it's crazy. My first year in the suburbs, I had asked the kids about this because there's a, it might be Robert E. Lee Middle School here. Um, what if we had a high school named after Hitler? And they were like, no, I would never want to go there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, it's the same thing. Like, I just don't, it is. I, I mean, it's just a name of a school, guys. It, it doesn't make that much of a difference. <laughs> <laughs> what difference does it make? Well, I, I just wouldn't want to be affiliated. I wouldn't want that on my, on my right. diploma. I wouldn't want people to ask me what school I went to. Oh, but did any of you say anything about going to Robert E. Lee Middle School? And they were like, no, I mean, that's not a, it's not like, it's just a name. It's just a name. Like, no, that makes me think of um, somebody I want to put in the, on the honor roll because I forgot the honor roll, but we're going to circle back to it now. But somebody I wanted to put on the honor roll is the, um, the man and shoot, I can't think of the county. Y'all know he (laughs) called out Connie. About that Robert E. Lee. Oh, yeah. I can't think of his name. We need his name. Hold on. Let's look up his name. But that is a prime example of a community member who understands the the school board and who understands how to make his voice heard. And Mm -hmm. I hope that it is a prime example for everyone out everyone else out there. Like you have to know who's on your board because this is how Mm -hmm. things are changed. Mm-hmm. Gary Chambers Jr. Yeah, that's yes. him. Yes. He yeah. got Connie all the way together. And I love that they showed the receipt of her online shopping. That is the, oh my God. I love that part. Like, he was like, you sat over there shopping while we were talking about Black Lives. And I love that he, like, it took the time and finesse to provide us with documentation of her doing it and i do think she should re- resign oh and he was reading her like he are like he had done that in the mirror a few times i was like yes <laughs> all the eloquence he used it. i think you usually get like two minutes on school in a school mm-hmm. board to share your grievances and i don't know i know a lot of school boards have been having like virtual meetings and they've kind of been not allowing public comments because of the virtual setting but he made that face-to-face meeting worth it. Yeah. And then he held all of his brothers and sisters on that board accountable for doing their part as board members as well. And I think that's, that's powerful. Yes. And Jasmine, you also had someone you wanted to put on the honor roll or some people or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All the people that are celebrating Juneteenth and taken and have taken it very seriously seriously this year. Um, I'm really impressed with people wanting to know their history, with people um, attaching themselves to their identity. Um, and you know, just taking a step forward and that's that's really what it's all about. Um, and you know, a shout out to the elitists who didn't come for the blacks who were just waking up. Shout out to them too. That's I think true. they had gotten a warning a couple of days before. They, they had like, listen, it's gonna be a whole lot of new people celebrating Juneteenth, so don't get out here. All right, we got a lot of new faces at the cookout. Relax. All right, don't yes. get out here talking about uh, true to this, not new to this. Like, don't do that. Exactly. Um, but we're going to jump right into the 
principal's office because, you know, sometimes you have to celebrate and then sometimes you have to call some bull out. This is where we like to do that. Asia has our principal's office. So I have seen a lot of schools um, posting notices about what they intend to do for the fall with COVID-19. And I'm just interested to see how this really will work, um, especially, and it just shows what schools have the resources for what they're asking for. Um, whether there's a, I've seen virtual schooling, I've seen hybrid, so half the week you'll be in school, half the week you'll be virtual at home, um, or some, making face-to-face -face work so it just really speaks to who has the resources and who doesn't whether that is school resources or student resources and at-home resources that's yeah. a really good point. and I don't think a lot of people are doing enough and when I say people I mean teachers are doing enough like practical thinking about okay how am I going to convert and, and make sure that I have an equitable and adequate educational and instructional experience for students until we go back um and from what i've seen a lot of people are not planning and preparing for virtual learning a lot of people are planning and preparing for going back to the physical classroom which i think is foolish there i said it um if you paying 60 dollars to go to a conference about classroom decor and environment you foolish um i said it don't at me um <laughs> your face live <laughs> But like we you have to be practical and there is nothing wrong with just exercising some sound judgment and common sense. And that does not mean that we are not going back anytime, but that means like you need to have a plan for how do I learn how to to ensure that my instruction is on par with my face-to-face -face experience in a virtual setting. So I totally agree. Because I'm I'm just like who are you decorating this bulletin board for? Who? Yeah. Unless a lot of people are going to be, I, I could actually see schools like having people come back and teach from their classrooms. I could definitely see that happen and teach. That first. would be a really good idea though. And I wouldn't be mad at that. I could definitely see that happen. So if we're preparing to do that, but if you preparing to have children in your room, and yes, I said children and not children. Um, I don't know. I just, I think a lot of people are living in this delusional and it, it is it is more fun to fantasize about what it would be like to go back to how we were before, but that's just not the reality that we're mm -mm. we're living in, unfortunately. And I've even seen some scenarios where elementary schools might be using the high schools in their area just because of the space, so they have more space to spread out and to keep kids apart. But it's all a mess. It's the all. The people who think we're going to go back to school don't realize how little classrooms we have. They don't know how the kids, like, even with regular rules, don't hit, don't touch each other, don't, you can't go to the bathroom until the first 10 minutes or the last 10 minutes. You can only use your cell phones in common areas. They don't know how the kids already violate those rules and policies right. that have nothing to do with their physical well-being. You want to tell kids who like to pick, like to touch each other for fun to not touch each other. Do you know like that's the whole day will be policing kids touching each other. Exactly. And I'm just thinking about elementary school, like kindergartners wearing masks or you tell a kindergartner not to touch another kindergartner. Uh, that's what five-year-olds do. <laughs> they just touch any and everybody. Not all of it is malicious. Sometimes they just want to hug you. They just want to, you know, they just want to be in your face. And it's like... And then telling them you, you can only walk down, you can only go straight in this hallway. And the kids are, especially high school kids, they are going to violate that just because. Just because it's fun. Like, oh, I'm going to walk. Look at me. Put me on Instagram walking the other way in the hallway. Like, or, yeah, or coughing on each other just because. Right, like just policing that is going to be, and they said even like teachers' desks have to face the same direction as the kids. So like, how am I supposed to do that? If my desk is facing the way their desks are, how am I, like, it just doesn't make any sense. Are you going to, what are you going to do with the extra desks? Are you just going to sit them in the hallway? Like, right. it's just 
so much where you may as well just keep it virtual. Whew. I miss the days when July was just for hot girl summer. I, no. <laughs> it will be anything but this summer. A lot is going to happen in these next few weeks. Um, Definitely. Well, this episode will be out in July, even though we're recording at the end of June. But I'm interested to see what will have come out by the time this episode comes out. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be real interesting. Really it is going to be interesting. But we'd like to thank Asia and Jasmine for being our guests today. We yeah. learned a lot. We talked a lot. We had fun. It's always a joy. Like, I wish me and Liv definitely would have done this sooner in our I know. We weren't ready yet. We had to, you know, we had to grow up a little bit. We did have to grow up. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to any of our earlier episodes when we were baby educators, but don't we were do foolish. It. Don't, don't do it. Do it. <laughs> don't recommend. It's ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> but if that's your type of thing, it's lots of fun. You're right. Well, we thank y'all for being on and join us next week as we continue our Black in Education series because we are still Black preachers and we will keep this going until the spirit says um, to move on or we just feel like moving on. But thank y'all so much for joining us and providing your perspectives. So don't forget to rate us, review, be blessed. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Can I help you? What do you want?